Can't tell you how good it is to be back with everybody this Sunday. I intended to be back last Sunday. Uh, we got back from the Holy Land a week ago Wednesday. I got to be back for the school mass on the following Thursday. It was a great day. It was going to be back in the office. And then Friday, I was here for morning mass. It was great. And then when I sat down in the confessional, I hit a brick wall. And I don't know if I brought a souvenir back from the Holy Land or if I received a welcome home gift. But regardless, this stomach bug has uh, thrown me for a loop. And thanks be to God, uh, our good friend, Father Joseph Waswa, was willing to step in at the very last minute and cover the masses last Sunday. Um, And I I hate missing them so much. I mean, I didn't even like being away over the weekend to be in the Holy Land, which was an awesome thing. But I love Ordinary Time Sundays. And just just want to say it, happy seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time, everybody. It's just great. You know, it's just, it's so nice. We get to be together. We get to reflect on, on the sacred scripture. It's just so beautiful. And I'll tell you, I want to tell you a little bit about my favorite day on the trip to the Holy Land. You know, so it was the Monday of the trip I got up at 3 a.m. to start saying my prayers and get ready. We had a wake-up call at 3.30. We had to be on the bus by 4.15 to go to the old city of Jerusalem. And we did that so that we could walk the stations of the cross, to actually go where Jesus was condemned to death and walk through all those different stations all the way to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which under that roof, that's where you have... Calvary, where Jesus was crucified. And it's interesting, a lot of the pilgrims mention the fact that everything is a lot closer than they expected it, than they had in their mind's eye. And as I said, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre has both Calvary, where Jesus was crucified, as well as the tomb. I mean, the distance from it, if, if Calvary is the image of the Sacred Heart here, the tomb is only about as far away as the baptismal font there in the front of our church. They're not that far away. And what we did that day was to get up super early to be kind of underway with the stations by about 4.45, to get to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre by about 6 a.m., to have Mass in the tomb at 6.30. And it was a very different experience this time. You know, I was blessed to get to, the whole, get to go to the Holy Land in 2016. And that time, when we did the Stations of the Cross, we did them in the middle of the day. And when you're in Jerusalem in the middle of the day, there's people everywhere and it's jam-packed. And the way we did it was we carried a big cross. So we were not being inconspicuous. And notice several times as we were going from station to station, people turning and spitting on the ground. I mean, they weren't happy to see us doing what we were doing. And it's an interesting thing, you know, normally we're not used to people not being super excited to see us living out our religious practices. At the, at the best, though, I mean, normally they're just kind of indifferent. But to see people spitting on the ground, it's not the norm. Well, this time it was quite a lot different because at 4.45 in the morning, as in most cities, it was pretty much deserted. And so we were walking through these empty, dark streets going to each of the stations And then we got to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. We got to go up the stairs and venerate the spot where Jesus died for us. And then we went and got to wait a little bit. And then this was sort of the the big pinnacle highlight of the whole trip. We got to celebrate Mass 
in the tomb. Now, the actual tomb, as you look at it, if you've seen pictures, it looks like this little chapel, you know, underneath the great big uh, roof that's there at the Holy Sepulchre. There's a bit of an ante room that could probably fit in about 15 people, and then you go beyond that, and it's a teeny tiny little space that about three grown men can fit into, and that is where they laid Jesus in the tomb. And that morning at 6.30, we got to go there to have mass where they laid Jesus. The deacon and I and an Italian Franciscan priest, uh, who didn't speak any English, he spoke Italian. Luckily, both of us speak priests, so we were able to figure out the fact that his name is John Luca, he's been ordained for 15 years, my name is John James, I've been ordained for 13 years, and we were together for that. And the way that Mass worked was for the Liturgy of the Word, the part we're in right now, the deacon and Father John Luca and I were sitting just outside the tomb, outside of that anteroom. And there was an ambo like this, one of our wonderful pilgrims got to read, I got to give the homily after the deacon proclaimed the gospel in his normal gusto, and it was amazing. And I will tell you this, as I walked up to give the homily, Father John Luca goes, two minutes, which was good to hear, you know? I mean, I think I'm probably already at minute five now, right? Like, I'm not used to two minutes. I just keep going, right? I want you to get your money worth. It's the way it works. But, so I had to be quick. And at this point, I had not actually been inside because it's a little bit different. It's not just a great big open space like this. So when it came time for the liturgy of the Eucharist, the deacon and Father John Luca are making their way in. And all of a sudden, from within the tomb, from where Jesus was laid, he turns around and yells out, John James! And it was so amazing to hear my God-given, well, God, my parent-given, thanks mom and dad, my baptismal-given name called out from the tomb itself. I mean, it was an incredible gift to go in there and to get to offer that mass at the place where Jesus was laid, and I know it goes without saying, but I will say it anyway, he's not there anymore, right? That is where he rose from the dead, and to get to offer mass there was an incredible gift. And I bring all of that up because, you know, we are about to embark on another Lent, right? Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's already upon us. And on Friday, uh, every Friday of Lent, we have the beautiful communal practice here of praying the Stations of the Cross. At noon every Friday of Lent, and then at 6 p.m. every Friday in Lent, and at 6 p.m. we go back and forth. One week it's English, one week it's Spanish. Every day at noon is English, but they go back and forth on Friday evenings. And I'll tell you, we are so blessed that we are surrounded by those 14 Stations of the Cross every single day. It's not like they just come out for Lent and that's it. I mean, it's a beautiful thing that during this season, we get to give them special attention. When you think about it, to my left over here from station one, where Jesus is condemned to death, all the way over here to my right, where Jesus is laid in the tomb, we see those same spots that we got to walk a week and a half ago, you know, walking through where Jesus literally had like tidal waves of hatred and all the fallenness of the world crashing upon him. You know, from the beginning where Pilate in his cowardice, not using his office to do something good, 
but washing his hands and sending on an innocent man to die. To the third station over here where Jesus falls and you see just the cruelty on the face of the soldiers, the people that are mocking him and how terrible that is. Over here to the tenth station where he's stripped of his garments, right? And he, his cloak, his tunic, they're taken away from him. But in the midst of all of that, in the face of all of the hatred, all of the fallenness of this world, he never for a second stops loving his heavenly father and stops loving us. And we get the evidence of that right up to the end there on the 12th station of the cross where you have the last words of Jesus. And two of those last words are the ones that can stick with us so much where especially when we're trying to let go of grudges. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even in the midst of that tidal wave of hatred, he continues to call for our forgiveness. And he never for a second doubts the love of his heavenly father. As he says in the end, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He is loving our Lord through that whole thing. Now I would say as we get ready for Advent and as we see what the church gives us on this seventh Sunday of ordinary time, The bar is set very high, right? We have on the lips of Jesus himself from the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he's building on a strong foundation from Leviticus. God said, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The bar is set really high. And I think this gospel today really should be the one that's the most controversial of all Catholic and Christian teachings. Love your enemy? When you really think about that, I mean, compared to the other hot-button issues of abortion and contraception, those just make sense why we teach what we teach. Love your enemy? This is the hard stuff. This is what saints are made of. He gives us the command, be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. But the thing is, our Lord does not give commands that are impossible. I'm never going to give you the penance after confession, fly out of the church. Why? Because God didn't give you wings. It wouldn't make any sense. But if he's saying be perfect, just as your heavenly father is perfect, it's possible. And we can see that in the stations of the cross. Our Lord faces on evil head on. I mean, the night before, as he goes through all this, he's betrayed by one of his friends. As Judas kisses him on the cheek, Jesus doesn't turn around and slap him in the face. He feels for Judas, right? In the midst of all of this, as people are doing horrible things to him, literally nailing his hands and his feet to a piece of wood, what does he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And as we move into Lent and we see this example of perfection itself, what love looks like when it gets hit with the tidal wave of hatred and fallenness in this world, continuing to love our Heavenly Father and love us through it all, He knows that it's possible for us to imitate that. And there's one of the scenes in the midst of the stations that I'm going to get to pray, and I always want to just sit there and reflect on it longer. And I thought today to just kind of bring the stations in these readings together. I want to reflect with you for a little while on one of these stations of the cross, and that's number eight, which is back, from my perspective, the right-hand corner, okay? And it's the station where Jesus meets the women of Jerusalem. And I'm going to read for you the little reflection that we have in the station booklet. So we're going to hear it every Friday here soon. 
But I think it's worth some meditation as we move into Lent. It says this about the A station. Following Jesus on the road to Calvary was a great multitude of people and of women who bewailed and lamented him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Remember that the days are coming when they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. If they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now, two things with that. Don't weep for me. I mean, this is Jesus saying this as he is bruised and bloodied and broken, as he has the cross on his shoulder, and these women are looking at him and crying about him, and he says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. How can that be? How can he say that with a straight face? Well, the fact of the matter is, as I said, as he moves through all this, he never stops loving the Heavenly Father. He never stops loving us. He doesn't respond to the devil's attacks with the devil's weapons. He does not let hatred enter into his heart. So no matter how bad that tidal wave may be, he is never going to drown. He is in love with our Lord. So no matter how bad the evil may be, he's never giving in. The trouble is, for those women, for their children, for us, we give in sometimes. Sometimes we get slapped in the face, we slap right back. When we get insulted, we insult right back. We demand our rights. We expect all these things. We want an eye for an eye. We don't want to love our enemies. But that only leads to the perpetuation of more and more hatred. It only hurts us. And so he says, don't weep for me. I'm not leaving my father's love. Weep for yourselves. Why? Because there's a chance that you may fall away. You may respond to hatred with hatred. Don't let it happen. But I'll tell you, one of the things I love about our church and the very placement of that eighth, command, or eighth uh, station is as you look at it, once again, from my perspective, those women are looking up here towards the sanctuary. But Jesus is pointing right into the confessional. He's pointing right to that place where he knows that as we move through the fallenness of this world, we can go to have our sins wiped away. We can go to have the tears wiped from our eyes. We can go to get up again in the midst of the fallenness of this world to not fight evil with evil, but to love as our Lord loves to show that it's possible all the way to laying down our lives on the cross like him to get up and keep going. That even if we've fallen, we can go there to be healed, to get up again, and to keep going. The final thing, that line, if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? It's an interesting line, and I think ultimately what it gets down to is, if this is happening, when the Son of God is incarnate and is right there. I mean, it's God himself looking at these people and they still slap in the face and put a crown of thorns on his head. If that's going to happen when God himself is here, what's going to happen when society's more secular? When all of a sudden the FBI starts to see us as a danger? When all of a sudden we are not wanted around more and more? What are we going to do then? He continues to be with us. And that's why we need a season like Lent to remember the fact that, yeah, the tidal wave of hate, the, essentially the stations, they continue to be here to this day. The question is, will we strive to follow him? 
And this beautiful season is here to link us back up to the love of our Heavenly Father, which makes it possible for us to love more and more our brothers and sisters in Christ, which makes it possible for us to be holy, for us to be perfect. Is it easy? No. But the great news for us is Jesus Christ doesn't just dictate these nearly impossible commandments from on high and do nothing about them. No. First, he showed us that it's all possible. Second, he showed us that his love is stronger than any of it. That tomb, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is empty. He wasn't laying there as the deacon and I got to go there and have mass. He is risen from the dead. And this season reminds us once again that we have the hope of living like him, of bearing our crosses in a fallen world. Is the wood dry these days? I think you can make the argument that it is. But the beautiful thing is, is our Lord does not abandon us. He stays with us in the mix of it all. Yes, he calls us to be holy. He calls us to be perfect. But remember, by the stations of the cross, by his laying down his life for us and taking it up again, he shows us that to be holy and to be perfect is possible. Praise be Jesus Christ.